You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick. This is a thousand monkeys working at a thousand typewriters. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. You mm. stupid monkey. <laughs> and Maddie Rose. Jared Mayo is Gerard, going to Gerard be Mayo. Tom Levine. Andy Patet. To Yusai Majiri. Uh, Vitek. Vinatek. On Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number two. It's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Powered by mortgagestogo.ca always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004 visit mortgagestogo.ca at the bottom of the hour NHL daily faceoffs Frank Cervalli rumors rumors and more trade rumors apparently the Hurricanes inquired about Elias Patterson too that's interesting but it looks like they're going to get together on a contract extension anyway but that's interesting anyway what's the latest on this Noah Hannafin situation with the Calgary Flames now that Chris Tanev is gone all of that with Frank coming up at 7.30. Know your Mika. It'll be Matty Rose against Brent Cron in Know Your Kipper at 8.30. And text us in your favorite Mika Kipper soft memory, 960-960, name and location. As his number will get retired tomorrow night down at the Dome. But right now, Blue Jays columnist, insider for Sportsnet on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to our pal, Shai Davidi. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm all right. How are you guys doing? I feel like when we have you scheduled for the show, some big Flames news happens and we have to move you. It's like you're the good luck charm in all of this. I don't know. If, only if you're happy with the Flames moves, right? Yeah. I, I, I think I they wanna, are. I, I don't want to be the bad luck charm that leads to bad Flames deals. This is true. Uh, this is absolutely true. Um, wanted to ask you, Shy. Matt Chapman's still out there. Is there any chance the Blue Jays circle back on Matt Chapman? In theory, yes. The, there was always the possibility that if something like this was, there was sort of an opportunity in the free agent market that hung on deep into the spring that the Blue Jays would look back at it. I think that Ross Atkins's comment uh, earlier in the spring where he said any uh, addition of significance would require some level of subtraction that maybe makes it a touch more complicated. But if Matt Chapman suddenly wanted to do a one-year deal, I wonder if the Blue Jays look at that in a bit of a different way. I do think they like what they have going on right now, and they feel like they're in a, a good position with some financial flexibility they can carry into the season and maybe use during the trade deadline. But at a certain point, the Matt Chapman possibility could become intriguing enough that they jump. So I don't necessarily think it's especially likely. I still feel like there's going to be a multi-year deal out there for him. But the longer this drags on, the more the possibility that maybe he just takes a one-year pillow deal and then goes back into the market afterwards. You know, Maybe that happens and has some appeal to the Blue Jays. From an organization now, shy, that's all about run prevention. If they don't bring back Matt Chapman, what kind of hole do they have at third base defensively? Well, depending on how it shakes out, if it does turn out to be, say, a, a lot of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, it's obviously a drop-off, but it's not like he's some butcher out there. This is a guy who won a gold glove at the position a few years back. Uh, he's a pretty good defender. He should be able to play it competently enough. And then if you're partnering him with, 
you know, Kevin Biggio on certain days, and we saw the way that he looked in that spot uh, last year, uh, particularly August, September, when Chapman was hurt uh, and did a tremendous job. Uh, and metrically, he rated very well there. Uh, it could be passable enough that it shouldn't be uh, a major dip. You're also going to be putting more pressure on Bo Bichette and how that plays out, we shall see. But he was very solid metrically uh, at, at shortstop last year, uh, and the eye test matches that. And I see no reason why he can't get better. So it's going to be a hit. There, there's only you know maybe a couple defenders better than Matt Chapman at at third base in the majors. I mean maybe Machado, maybe Hayes, but it, you know he he's right there. But the Blue Jays can play a competent enough third base that it shouldn't be a significant drop off. I just wanted to go back to the Chapman conversation for a moment. What did you make of what Scott Boris said at the Cody Bellinger presser just about irregularities in the market? Look, I, there are a number of agents who are pointing to that. And there, I had one agent, a fairly prominent agent, suggest to me that this really does look like collusion. And that's obviously a, a big word in baseball and carries a lot of a lot of meaning. I do think you can also look at this market a little bit and say, okay, Boris probably overshot a little bit with Bellinger, with Chapman, with Snell, with Montgomery. And that's why we're in this standoff. And a lot of other free agents have been cut up in collateral damage of it. Uh, And I know Kiki Hernandez threw out something like that there yesterday. It, It is, it has been an unusual market, but I can also see why, if you're a club, you'd have reservations about wanting to give Cody Ballinger $200 million. Why you'd have reservations about wanting to give Matt Chapman $175 million. Why you'd have reservations about wanting to give Blake Snell $200 million. I-, I can totally understand that. So I would have thought that there would have been some sort of middle ground found and maybe some, some creativity uh, akin to the contract that we saw the Cubs give Cody Ballinger. That requires the player to sign off on that, and it's not there. But I do think this is something that will be talked about a fair bit. Among, I'm sure it has been already, but we'll talk about it even more at the union level going into the next offseason to see whether is this, is this an aberration or is this something new entirely that they do need to examine. Shai, who's the player in camp right now that you have your eye on that's super low-key? Well, I don't know how low-key he is, but uh, Alan Roden is an outfielder who split last season between single-A Vancouver and double-A New Hampshire. And everyone you talk to who's coached him and been around him, I mean, they absolutely love the kid. He's super strong, tremendous bat-to-ball skills, uh, smart approach, processes information well. You know, he played a couple months at New Hampshire, so there's a possibility he he goes back, at least for the start of the season, to New Hampshire before he gets a quick bump up to Buffalo. But I can see him opening the season at AAA and potentially knocking on the door there because so many of the skills really match. And He had a, a nice basis-clearing double uh, against the Yankees uh, last weekend. He had a home run against the Tigers this week. And you know, it's not the results that matter. It's the process that gets you there in spring training. And there's a lot of maturity in his game. So 
he's someone I could potentially see factoring at some point, and and it's maybe someone that you don't expect. You know, we talk a lot about Addison Barger and Aurelvis Martinez and Ricky Tiedemann uh, and Leo Jimenez and, and some of those other players. Obviously, David Schneider and and Spencer Horowitz, the guys who were up last year. But Alan Roden could push himself into that conversation pretty quickly uh, and be someone who could give this team a boost. Do you expect to see Kevin Biggio soon? Uh, so he's in, uh, he's got a build-up process with his shoulder. Uh, when I sp- last spoke to him uh, last week, I think, or, or maybe at the beginning of this week, he was still believing that he was on a trajectory that would have him ready for opening day. And that we'll see. So, you know, they don't want to rush this and, uh, you know, put himself, put him in a position where he ends up having a bit of a setback because he's so important. But if he's not ready to go out of the gate, that changes some things for the Blue Jays because suddenly there's a roster spot and, you know, do they do, do they, does that go to Ernie Clement? Does that help Eduardo Escobar make the team? He's in camp on a minor league deal. He's an interesting veteran guy. That uh, it opens up a number of possibilities. So uh, I, I think where where that buildup goes and how quickly it happens will obviously be pretty significant uh, on a number of different levels. We've seen uh, essentially the entire starting rotation get a spin, except for Kevin Gossman. What was impressive to you out of? the four starters going out there and, and getting their, their best to try on their first outing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it, the, the thing that most stuck out was Alec Manoa's outing for, for obvious re- reasons. And it, it's important not to read too much into the spring. Outings. I was actually talking to an executive from another team this week. And the person said to me, is like the only thing I watch for, on the field is demeanor and heartbeat and everything else I'm going to find out based on the, the data points and the measurements and the way we, we track performance. And so I, I thought that was really interesting that it, it was just reinforcing that so little of what happens in Grapefruit League games is of major significance. It's mostly just get your work in and don't get hurt. Uh, but I think of, of all the, the starters, it's Alec Manoa is the one that's going to be most interesting. And it was obviously an erratic outing. You can look at it and say, okay, from a stuff perspective, the stuff was back where it needs to be, but you know, the performance wasn't first outing of the spring. So you're not going to read too much into it, but he's the one guy where, you know, what you see on the field might carry a bit more weight this spring. And, and obviously that first one, what didn't put a mind's particularly at ease. What's his demeanor like? Alec Manoa's? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, you know, he's been pretty positive. He's been pretty confident. He's obviously been through a lot. And he's right now in the trusting the process type of mindset. And he's got to do that because that's what he, he's really been through a process. And that was his first time in game conditions since last August. And he's different physically he's different mentally and he's different from a stuff perspective so you can you can look at it and say okay uh there is there is some margin for error that you have to provide on the flip side because of how last year went and all the all the stakes with his progression it's also a little bit disconcerting so 
that's that's the balance I think the Blue Jays are going to have to ride. That's a balance that he's riding, where he came out of that start and he was very excited about where his was from a stuff perspective, that he wasn't having to really grind to get to get to velocity, and he was already throwing harder last year than he was uh, at the end of last, or sorry, throwing harder in his start Tuesday than he was all of last season, and he was doing it without having to max effort the way he did a year ago. So he was very excited about that, and we'll see where it goes uh, from here. Shout out to Blue Jays columnist for Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Big show, Russick and Rose. 960, the fan. How key are Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen to this year's Blue Jays team? Uh, key as always, right? Uh, one one of the major strengths that the Blue Jays have had in recent years is that catching tandem. When you're getting two very good defensive catchers, two catchers who are adept at handling pitching staffs and who can contribute offensively, you know, teams often have one good catcher, uh, but then it's a backup that you don't want to play very often. And the Blue Jays have the opposite. They have two guys that you want to play more. So that's a, a pretty enviable situation to be in. The question always just becomes, you know, can Danny Jansen in particular find a way to stay on the field? You just think about all the bad luck and all the injuries that he's had. And you know, he we talked to him uh, this spring about – things that he's trying to do to protect his hand a little bit more to get out of the way of pitches but he's also got to be him and he's uh, a super tough player uh, really gritty and in some ways he's got he's had a bit of a a career path that is different but similar to that of Travis Darno is someone who comes up well regarded bad luck can't stay on the field Travis Darno eventually found a way to stay on the field and has been a really important catcher for Atlanta in recent years. And, and maybe that's Danny Jansen's path too. So uh, with the strength that they provide, the stability they have behind the plate, uh, that's important. And this is a really big year for Alejandro Kirk, right? Like he wasn't uh, really strong defensively last season, not the season you want from him at the plate, exit velo way down, slug way down. If he can get back to where he was in 22, or at least be closer to that, then the Blue Jays will feel a little bit better about where they're going to be after the season because Danny Jansen's a free agent. He traded Gabriel Moreno last offseason. And so now you don't have uh, a catcher, the catching depth you used to, and Alejandro Kirk could be your guy next year. So the Blue Jays will very much want to see Kirk sees that be closer to the best version of himself uh, because that's important, not just for this year, but beyond as well. Uh, speaking of best version of themselves, who needs to have uh, their normal, you know, regular productive season to help the Blue Jays be really successful this year, Justin Turner or George Springer? Well, I, the easy answer is both, right? The, it's not like the Blue Jays have this avalanche of offense that is unstoppable. Like they need, Everybody. They need a lot of things to go right the way they're set up at the plate right now. And a lot of things could go right. You know, the, re- the expectations have to be reasonable on Justin Turner. He's 39. He can't continue to be who he was forever. And it, it took Nelson Cruz until he was like 41 or something before he started really falling off. So the Blue Jays are hoping that. He's got a couple more Nelson Cruz's, or at least one more Nelson Cruz's type year in, in, in there 
for them. But George Springer is such a catalyst that if he's more aligned to where he was when he was healthy in 21 and 22, that's a game-changing force, especially in the cleanup spot. And that makes life better for Bo. That makes life better for Vladdy. Uh, that changes a lot of things for you. So, you know, I, I, it's hard to say one or the other there uh, because a Justin Turner who's coming up clutch the way he has throughout his career is hitting effectively with runners in scoring position. That's just protecting Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And that's forcing pitchers to try and get Vladimir Guerrero out rather than just punting on him and taking their chances with whoever's in the four hole. What's a good home run season barring, you know, missing injury for Vlad Jr.? Is it a minimum 30 home runs this year, Shy? I think that, he, look, we know that he's got 48 in there because that happened. Uh, but the Blue Jays just need that threat, that impact, right? Yeah. Like, think about so 26 last season, 26 or 27. If he had 10 more last year, how different are our conversations about the Blue Jays' offense right, right. now? And, you know, I think that that's probably his range, like 30 to 35. But he's a good hitter first before he's a home run guy. So the doubles are important. The slug matters. If he's slugging. And one of the things that's interesting about the Blue Jays' offense is that we spent so much time talking about, like, oh, these guys, these guys didn't score runs, didn't score runs. They actually put together a lot of innings. And the one area where they really were deficient last year was their slug. Right, they were uh, fourth in batting average and fifth in on base, or it might be fifth and fourth, uh, whatever. But they were getting on base, they were creating innings, but they didn't get the big knock that drives that drives in a bunch of guys that breaks games open, and it's hard to continuously get four or five hits in an inning, and so you need the damage in there periodically. And the Blue Jays didn't do that damage effectively enough last season, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr is a guy who can do that damage, who can provide it. He, he can, George Springer can, uh, Bo Bichette can, Dalton Varsho can, Danny Jensen and Alejandro Kirk can. They've got the candidates, Justin Turner can, they've got the candidates for it, but they need the damage. That's what's going to push them across the line because, again, you keep playing for one or two runs, then you're going to get into those low-scoring affairs that the Blue Jays were in so often last year. Uh, real quick, Shy, uh, Ian asking us from Melville, Saskatchewan, has Vladdy changed his swing at all this spring a little bit? He hasn't changed his swing, but his hands are positioned a little bit higher than they were a year ago, hmm. and that's something that it's kind of they're, – they're back to closer to where they were 21 when he was sort of at his best, and why they dropped down is unclear. Was that fatigue? Was that – some injury things, something physical, but that's something that he wanted to get back to. And so uh, you'll see his hands, if you're watching closely, his hands should be a little bit higher this year than they were a year ago. And maybe that's going to help him just get that ball back in the air, just maybe altering that swing path a little bit. So he's not necessarily trying to change his swing, but just maybe having a better, better path through the ball. Blue Jays columnist and reporter for Sportsnet, Shai Davidi. Shai, terrific stuff. Enjoy the weather down there. Thanks for this. Yeah, be well. There he goes, Shai Davidi from beautiful FLA. You can hear he's on the on the highway, the, the bridge, I think. You can hear him go, do-do, do-do, do-do in the car. <laughs> Great stuff by uh, Shai Davidi on the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, straight ahead. Late game for them. Mm. Night game. 435? Mountain where, time? Where are My they goodness. Playing? I don't know. Tampa? Dean, Florida. I don't know who are they playing. <laughs> Thank you. They're in Florida. Thank you, Matt Rose. Well done.
They're playing, the, oh, they're playing the Yankees. They're gotcha. in okay, so they they are playing at Legends Field. Yeah, okay. they are in Tampa. Right. Okay, um, straight ahead, Frank Saravalli. Is no Hanovan's camp? Are they Captain Phillipsing this whole situation? Mm. Look at me. Mm. I'm the captain now, Conroy. We'll ask him that. Uh, this Elias Patterson situation. Who's oh, going to sign an extension? Way more juicier that they're talking trade with Carolina than an extension, but whatevs. Talk to Frank about that. And the Cobra will slither his way into studio coming up at 8 o'clock. Don't forget, all of our NHL deadline coverage is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975. Down in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call them at 403-248-3344 for pickup or delivery. Frank Servali next. Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, powered by MortgagesToGo.ca. Always the lowest interest rates in Canada since 2004. Visit mortgagestogo.ca. At the top of the hour, Big Show Flames analyst, the solution snake, the Cobra. Mr. Brent Cron in studio will get his thoughts on the Chris Tanev deal. And we'll let him reminisce about one Mika Kippersoff. Share with us your favorite Mika Kippersoff. Memory 960, 960, name and location. And at 830, tune in. We're going to play Know Your Kipper. It'll be our Matty Rose versus Brent Cron in a Know Your Mika, Mika Kippersoff trivia challenge. And don't cheat, Matty Rose. No cheating. No cheating. I promise. Okay. And we'll wrap up the week with plays of the week and the lock of the day. But right now, to talk about the NHL trade deadline, which mercifully is over in a week, NHL Daily Faceoffs, Frank Cervalli, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. What are you sleeping like these days, Frank? Not well. Uh, <laughs> some bags under my eyes, just yep. waking up thinking about trades. Phone is on loud. Sometimes I get a random 2 a.m. email thinking it's a trade. It's been great. Okay, awesome. Um, so you're counting down the days uh, till the trade deadline Next Friday. Um, is I wish there... I could wake up tomorrow and it would be next Friday, next okay. Saturday. All right. Um, what's the craziest deal or kind of player deal that you've heard so far? Is you it Elias Patterson? Yeah, is it Elias Patterson to Carolina? Because that was super yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, 100%. There's nothing wackier than that. Do you know any Let's... particulars of that? No, I mean, we've heard general names, but the idea that the Vancouver Canucks challenging for a president's trophy would trade a hundred point player in season. I just, I find the entire thing to be, not to say that they didn't have conversations. I find it to be far-fetched. I find it to be a giant bluff. Hmm. Or doesn't that have all Jimmy Rutherford written all over it? I mean, look, he, he's aggressive and daring, but good luck getting equal value. Right. So this is all heading to an extension, though, in Vancouver, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think team's calling is what helped lead him back to the table. Okay. Um, I guess we'll, we'll wait eventually when that does happen. Uh, what's that number going to look like? North of what, Frank? 13? No, no. North of Nylander, south of Nathan McKinnon. Okay. 
All right. So north of 11.5, south of 12.6. Okay. All right. Nice sweet spot there. Uh, there there's my uprights for you. Okay. I like it. Um, okay. Uh, the Noah Hannafin situation. Uh, you went on Pat show and said that uh, the term hijack uh, yes. by Noah Hannafin's camp when it comes to uh, his representation, his agent, of course, is Pat Brisson. Tell us why this situation is getting very sticky for the Calgary Flames and how potentially his team is throwing a wrench in the plans of all of this. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have beards and guns. They're uh, guys with French accents and nice suits. But uh, <laughs> certainly are, are hijacking this situation in the sense that they've essentially wrestled some control here in terms of how this ultimately plays out. And so I got a lot of feedback from fans on social media over the last couple of days responding to that, saying, you're an absolute idiot. He only has an eight-team no-trade clause. What on earth are you talking about? <laughs> and, and here's how the game really works behind the scenes. And that is any team that's interested in trading for the player, they almost always end up calling the agent at some point just to check in. Hey, how's everything going? Is he happy? Uh, how's he feeling? What does he think of this season? Hey, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, what would he think about uh, pick a city. What do you think about Vegas this time mm. of year? So the agent then has the ability at the end of the phone call to just say, hey, I, I appreciate you calling, but just a heads up, if you trade for him, which is your right, this is not a city that he envisions signing long-term in. And more or less what typically happens after that is that team generally crosses the player off his list. Because think about it. Why would you want to trade for a pure rental knowing right. that you have to give up a significant assets that is essentially coming to then say goodbye nine weeks later? How different is what Noah Hannafin's doing right now from what happened with, you know, maybe Matthew Kachuk or Johnny Gaudreau? Well, I think it's totally different in the sense that he didn't do it in the, at the middle of the deadline. And I think that's the really disappointing part if you're a Flames fan. You sit back and you say... Just just go out. This is the way it works. Go be traded anywhere. Don't try and influence the process. And then if you want to move on as a free agent on July 1, then go do that. Why make this more complicated than it needs to be? And that's part of what the Flames are dealing with now because on the other end of it, some of the teams that are believed to be on his list, and it's a small list. I think it's somewhere between four and five teams. And I can tell you two of them for sure are the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and Florida Panthers. The other three or four, two or three, I would say um, the speculation is that it revolves around Vegas, LA, and Boston. I don't know where that leaves New Jersey, which is one of the teams that was uh, rumored to be interested. Perhaps they're, they're on the good list. Don't know. But point being, what do the Panthers, Lightning, and Bruins have in common. None they, of them really have any assets to trade. Right. So therein lies the problem for the Flames. They need to move him. He's signaled that the places he'd like to play are places that have no assets. And the other markets where they could just trade him with no issues, they're sitting back saying, well, we don't really want to pay much because... He's a pure rental. 
I don't. Did I, I explain it clearly? Enough? No, you, you absolutely did, and I'm all about. I'm all about player empowerment. I think the players are the ones who put their bodies on the line playing this very quick and at sometimes violent sport. And, and I get it. And they should have all the power in the world. But it, it's tough, like especially in a league, Frank, where it's just a salary cap and a hard salary cap. And it's very difficult to make moves and make money work. And now all of a sudden, now you throw this wrench in the plan where he's like, no, he's not going to sign there because he just doesn't want to play there long term. Like, it just doesn't feel like if the chips aren't already stacked against Craig Conroy in this trade, it feels like it's even more against him. Well, that's kind of the point that I'm making here. Yeah. Is it fair, ultimately, is what I'm trying to ask you. No, I don't think it is, because that's not what you signed up for, is to debate about next year's contract. You didn't hit free agency yet. Right. You're on this year's contract. Mm Mm-hmm. Which ends, and you're subject to the whims of whatever non-protection you have, which is you can be traded to 23 other teams. Is is this an issue that potentially, and we had the conversation about how like the, the Florida teams have an advantage with the no-state tax. The, the Stars right. have an advantage yeah. with the no-state. Nashville with the no-state tax. Is this something that uh, general managers don't like, owners don't like? Is this something that potentially the league and the players association can have a conversation about? No, because it's impossible to police it. And I'm sure that if, and when Hannafin's camp and or Hannafin himself hear this or listen, you know, listen to the reporting or read the reporting, they're going to react and say, well, we haven't said anything. Hmm. You, You can't police it because there's really no, there's no way to restrict a conversation that may or may not have happened. It, is it just like when the, the NBA wink, wink, the wink, wink, nod, nod, right? It, it's like when the NBA guys get together in the summer and they all say where they're all going to sign. And eventually they all sign on the same team. I mean, that happens in the NBA. You should go to an NHL draft combine. Like <laughs> 60% of the free agents are sorted out or at least heading down a path with meetings by then. The return for Lindholm, uh, is that going to, well, what potentially can they get for Hannafin? Is that even on the radar here? Is that a possibility? With everything you just said and how the uh, the chips are stacked against Conroy, can Flame fans expect a return similar to what they got for Lindholm? Or is it going to be a return from what they got from Tanev to Lindholm and this one will be right in the middle? It's going to be right in the middle. It's not going to be as good as Lindholm and it's not, you know, the Tanev one, I think, was absolutely fine. I think it was solid for for the player and the moment in time um, and the market. So what I would say is it, it it should be better, certainly, than Tanev, and it, and it will be. But temper expectations that it's probably not going to get to the level that you were expecting with, with Lindholm to maybe cash in on two of these guys. What's been but the that's re- why I was saying with Pat that I think the best way to grade this all out, mm. don't do it in individual silos. <laughs> what you should do is sit back and say, okay, from last summer when Craig Conroy took over and he shipped out the first pending UFA in Tyler Toffoli, from Toffoli to Zadaroff to Lindholm, Tanev, and then finally Hannafin, Add up the totality of those players and the returns and then grade it that way. Um, is there a chance Hanovan stays at all in all of this, Frank, when all said and done? 
look, I, I don't want to handicap it because I, and be too um, definitive because I think you never want to be dead right. But what I would say is I, I don't think there's been much love lost during this process um, in terms of how this has played out that I'd be entirely shocked if he's a Calgary Flame on March 9th. Frank Saravalli, NHL uh, Daily Faceoff, brought to you by South Trail Exports, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And, and here's the reason why I say that, because yeah. no matter what, after all this has gone down, you know he's not re-signing with your team on July 1. You have a chance to make the playoffs. What would you peg it at? 30%? Yeah. 25%? You're but not going to roll the dice on that especially after all this has gone down on a worst case scenario, your return is Tanev. Uh, but, but, uh, but I was, uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Is that is, is potentially keeping them here and trying to squeeze into the playoffs. What is that worth? Is that worth a second round pick in a draft that potentially could be near the bottom? We've had Jason Bukla on Sportsnet draft analyst saying this is a very weak draft compared to what it usually is. Like, yeah, it's great. They got a second round pick. For Tanev, but that's going to be low in the second round, and who knows what type of player you can get. That's um, why they focused on Grushnikov. Yeah, no, for sure, and and I understand that. But I'm just saying, when it comes to Hannifin here, if if they're really tied here and they can't and he can't get traded, they're not going to be tied. That I mean, someone's still going to step up and give them something. Okay. Yeah, I mean, let's and, not go overboard here. It's just, all I'm saying is it's going to be a grind. Uh, and that's all. I wanted to get your opinion on this too. Um, trading Tanev when they did. Does that actually help Conroy and the Flames that, that one of the prized defensemen are gone? And I know he wasn't competing against himself, but it just makes other teams maybe a little more desperate here that that guy's off the market a week plus ahead of the deadline? I don't think it really has any impact. Two okay. different players, two different shots, two different styles. And more than that, two different realms in terms of return, two different realms in terms of what that next contract might look like if you wanted to keep the player. I think what it does more than anything is it just takes one more file off of his desk. He can now focus his undivided attention on making sure that this Hannafin deal gets all the attention it deserves instead of trying to do both at the same time. What have you made of uh, the play of Lindholm in Vancouver? What's been the reaction? I mean... I think I'd ha I don't have it right in front of me. Last time I checked, they were one game under 500 since making the trade. Mm -hmm. I don't think it really has anything to do with the trade. I, I think one part of it though, that Rick Tockett had spoke about just after the all-star break was we've now made a, a big splash, a trade for a significant player. We can't take our foot off the gas. And I don't know if that's just human nature. If part of that is what, the Canucks are facing right now. If part of that is everyone knows that they're one of the top teams in the league and they're getting everyone's best shot, or if any part of this, maybe all of these things combined is have they just hit a bit of a wall right now? That is, you know, typically most teams don't have a Boston Bruins like season from last year where you just coast all the way through without any adversity. At some point, more often than not, you have to, ask yourselves some questions and that's what the, the Canucks are facing right now. 
How about the Leafs going back to Old Faithful yesterday? What'd you make of the deal with Ilya Labushkin uh, giving up a third and a sixth? I, I said it earlier in the show, but it makes me a little bit nervous when someone I'm going to be battling with in the Eastern Conference steps up to help me retain on a player that... Um, top Maybe pair Russian does... bear, Maddie. Oh, okay. That's what they called yeah, him in Toronto it's, it's the first settle time. down, Toronto, George. Yeah, that was a little, little over it. the top. <laughs> What so did you make of the I deal? Checked, I mean, now when you smash these two trades together, it's what? A second, a third, and a sixth? For essentially to get, like... To get, to get Labushkin twice? Yeah, for like two-sixth of a season, essentially? Yeah, it'll essentially or add up to like two thirds, games. A third. Yeah. Two-thirds? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Last time was 31 games. This will be 20-something. Yeah. Yeah, two thirds. There you go. No problem. Look, they said there would be no math. All right, guys. Okay, all right. I'm confused. Uh, That's we all we all got in this business because we're all dummies. That's what the problem is. Pretty much. Yeah, that's that's Um, what it is. Yeah. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be standing over a construction hole looking at some guy's (laughs) ass crack all day, ripping darts. Yes. Heaters. So, what I would say is. I would call I would describe Ilya Labushkin as a warm NHL body. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it. I mean, that's he he's the depth of depth defenseman. And I don't think anyone's really expecting him to be a, a super impact player. He defends well enough. Um but that's I mean that's there's limitations here. Yeah, and if you're gonna get are. someone who plays down there, I understand wanting to get the guy that you kind of know. Um, but when you see this, what does it mean for the rest of the deadline for the Leafs? It feels like just a tinkering move. And you mentioned it on Twitter yesterday as well. This had nothing to do with the geo injury that occurred yesterday. No, and and they are certainly fearing a, a concussion. Uh, that part I don't think has been formally diagnosed, but that's what they're looking at. But they had been engaged pretty heavily on the Labushkin talk since before the Leafs game even started last night. So um, it wasn't reactionary or anything like that. And um, you know, I, I, I get exactly what we're saying about how this, you know, this, I'm just trying to look at it from the other perspective of the Leafs. Like, you know, he may not be impactful, but at the same time, what do we just say about draft picks? And I know there are future years picks for the most part this year's sixth rounder, I guess, which basically is like a seventh, according to the draft experts, but how often do a third and a sixth round pick actually make it to the NHL and impact your lineup? Right. Like it's, it, it's still an NHL player for pieces that may never impact you. Do you expect the Avalanche to do something big here? I do. I, I'd be shocked if we get to next Friday at, I don't know, 2 PM mountain time. And there have been no trades from the Avs, the Oilers, and the Golden Knights for that matter. Everyone else says, you know, the big dogs in the West have kind of made their splash. The Kings don't really have much cap space to play with, but Dallas, Winnipeg, Van, I I think Vancouver is still going to make yet another trade here. Wouldn't be surprised to see Winnipeg add some depth. Hmm. But those three teams in particular that they haven't, done anything yet and have kept their powder dry i mean this it there's still a lot more to develop here over the next week how much of the hab's going to be a seller again 
Just a little bit. There's not really much to pick at. You've got Jake Allen, and they're hoping to retain half on him to, to get him somewhere to clear up their crease a little bit. They've been carrying three goalies all year. Maybe an outside chance on a David Savard. Um, but then I'm sure Montreal sitting there yesterday watching the Labushkin trade going, wait, what? We, 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 can, we can get something for Savard by maybe they use their last retained slot on him, which would, he has one more year left on his deal. He's certainly at a level, I'd say, way above Labushkin. So uh, those are the couple guys that I'd be looking at for Montreal. What'd you make of the two fines handed out to Sheldon Keefe and Don Granado, 25K each for conduct against the referees? I would say deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheldon Keefe has been, I think, a pain in the arse for officials for the last couple of years. I think he's way over the top and seems to be lacking some control. And I think personally that a team feeds off of the energy of their coach. Sometimes with some guys that are stoic, you'll want more fire. But I think there's a fine line of, your team just being absolutely on edge more often than not, that could be problematic when games matter most. Uh, who are you betting on to win the Hart Trophy right now? Nathan McKinnon becomes the fourth player in Avs history mm. to do back-to-back 100-point seasons, hit back-to-back 100-point seasons. I would say I'm pretty torn right now, I'm going to be honest. And I've only kind of given it a cursory thought because we're – still in the deadline period. But what I would say is Kucherov and how he's distanced himself from the rest of his lightning teammates is fascinating. He's already 40 points up and of his next closest teammate. And there's still a quarter of the season to go that. And he's factored into almost exactly half of his team's total goals. Like is that, is that they've good? come off of his stick, which yeah. is crazy. That is, so absolutely. he's been excellent. McKinnon has been good. Um, you know, I, I think I don't think we're giving enough love to Connor Hellebuck. Mm. We really don't. And I and I'm not a, a guy who typically puts a, a goalie on his heart trophy ballot because I think we've already got an award for that. And if we were really being serious, if we're talking the five most valuable players to his team, every year your your ballot would just be stacked with goalies. Sure. I think it takes something truly exceptional to make it onto that list and to me, I think Hellebuck has he's crossed that Rubicon this year of being in that world. Uh, Frank, just think next week at this time, it's almost all over. Next week at this time, I will be in one. Okay. All right. Yes. Hell yeah. We look forward to talking to you next week at this time. Thanks, pal. We'll talk to you next week. Get some sleep, okay? Weekend, or at guys. least try to. I'll try. Incrementally. All right. Mm-hmm. Here he is, Frank Cervalli, brought to you by South Trail Exports with inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Our NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by All Kind Door Services Limited, your go-to service company for the last 35 years, offering 24-hour emergency service. For all your door repairs, anything that swings, slides, or rolls, visit AllKindDoorServices.com. The Cobra. The Solution Snake, mm-hmm. Big Show Flames analyst, Mr. Brent Cron in studio. We'll get his thoughts on the Chris Tanev deal. This whole Noah Hannafin's camp holding this whole thing hostage, a la Captain Phillips, and not Sully Sullenberger Rose. 
We'll get <laughs> same thing. No, literally we'll, the same. We'll get Brent Cron's semantics uh, opinion on that. Uh, and at I drive a plane. I drive a boat. It's the same thing. Drive at eight thirty. <laughs> we will also play Know Your Kipper. So tune in for that. Trivia questions about Mika Kippersov. You versus Brent Cron. One versus one. The world might split in half. Mm-hmm. Big Show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan.